Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. Before I start this week's podcast, I'd like to say something about last week's podcast. The last week, I chatted with Pete from WhiskeyDesignAwards.com and he emailed me afterwards wanting to put the record straight about two things that he'd said. First, he'd said that his first experience of Glenfiddich was in 1996, when actually it was really in 1969. The mistake was due to problems of not speaking in his first language at the time. That is the same problem that also caused the second mistake, which was when he said all whiskey was made from wheat, he actually meant to say grain. Now, Pete, I understand that. And to be honest, that is exactly what I assumed at the time. That is what you meant. You clearly have got a deep understanding about whiskey, and I never thought for a second that it was anything more than a language problem. Now, as a footnote to this, I did say at the time that it would, technically, be possible to make whiskey from rice, as it is, to my knowledge, a grain. And I think it may have been me saying about the rice that caused a little bit of the confusion. Anyway, thanks again, Pete, and I hope that this has cleared up any confusion. And if anybody didn't listen to last week's podcast, why not download it? Because Pete's website the whiskeydesignawards.com is well worth visiting it's an interesting project that he's got going on there looking at the the design of the whiskey the packaging the labels the boxes the bottles themselves it's a it's a wonderful thing he's doing there so why not go over and visit that now The other thing I want to very quickly say is that I often talk about another podcast, WhiskeyCast. It's the podcast that really was the main inspiration behind me getting on and doing a podcast of my own. Now, I've listened to every episode of WhiskeyCast. There have been those there that have made me smile. There's been episodes that have almost brought a tear to my eye. There's always been something in them that has been entertaining and educational to me. They are absolutely fantastic. However, I have to make a special reference to episode 355. came out February the 5th, 2012. And... It's the latest episode of Whiskey Cast. If you haven't downloaded this episode, download it and have a listen to it. Because I, I'm not too sure what it is about this, this episode, but it just seems to me to be ex- extra special. Um, I listened to it on a cold, snowy day, and as I was listening to it, I was actually thinking to myself, this is a brilliant episode. It's one of the best for quite some time in many ways, but they're all good. Anyway, just an extra special recommendation for people to have a listen to episode 355. Wonderful. Thank you for it, Mark. Last week, I also mentioned so many whiskies.com's question about the gender of whiskey is it male 
or is it female? Now, Simon from SoManyWhiskies.com has since posted his views on his website, and it makes a quick but interesting read. Simon seems to share the view that stills are female, but whiskey can be male or female. But he's extended that view by suggesting that whiskey, spelt with an E, is female, whilst whiskey without an E is male. Now that's interesting. But Simon, to be honest, I'm not convinced. I'm not too certain it's as simple as that. Now that led me to consider this further and I asked my daughter, who planned doing philosophy at university, what her views were. She thought about it and very interestingly she said to me, don't be stupid, it's neither, it's just whiskey. Not quite the answer I was looking for and I bet that if she goes to university, by the second year she'll be writing papers about that sort of a question. I actually think that this is a complex issue. Whiskey is a liquid. It has characteristics, but is also able to change shape depending on how it is placed. It is fluid. This lack of fixed form can also apply to gender. Gender is not as clear as it first appears. In my days as a therapist, I had met people who clearly argued that their physical body did not represent their gender. They were females in a male's body, or vice versa. Now, in today's free-thinking world, it can be difficult or even controversial to specifically identify male and female attributes with humans, let alone whiskey. So what is the answer? Now, I'm going to suggest that this answer lies not in how you spell the whiskey, but in how you relate to it. Maybe a bottle of whiskey does not determine the gender of the dram. Now, I come home, I'm tired, I've had some bad news, I want to be comforted, and the dram helps that happen. To me, that dram is female. I am relating to it for its ability to soothe my pain like a nurse, a mother or a wife would. Now I know that is sexist, especially as I was a male nurse for 20 years, but it's also how I feel. Now another time, I'm getting ready for a party. Mood is high, energy levels are high, and a dram from the same bottle fills a different function. This time, it is male. It is a friend I can sing with and tell rude jokes with. Once more, I know that's sexist, but once more, it's just how I feel. So maybe it is how we relate to the dram that determines the gender. Now, if we extend that further, we can identify that some whiskies have certain characteristics that make them more likely to turn to for different things. A whisky with a brilliant, complex nose is less likely to be a party whisky, as I want to spend time over it. It is more likely to be female, as I want to treat it in a certain way. Yet, if I was female myself, I might see that dram as being male 
for the same reasons. And yet stereotypes can be broken. Just because something is strong and hairy doesn't mean it has to be male. Nor so the, the delicate and fragrant need to be female. We have progressed beyond these ways of, of thinking. For me, the still is female. The ingredients are male. The staff acts as matchmakers, then is midwives, and give birth to the whiskey. But the whiskey declares its gender one dram at a time, and does so in the way that drinkers relate to it. I find this interesting. But, as interesting as a topic it is, it's not my topic. This is one that Simon from So Many Whiskies brought up. So I'm going to encourage people to visit his website and post their thoughts on it there. It's an interesting subject. It helps us determine in many ways how we relate to whiskey, how we see whiskey. So please visit his website, post on his blog there. Let's get that discussion really going. It never ceases to amaze me just how willing people are to talk about their whiskey. Now Alastair Longwall, distillery manager at Ardmore Distillery, agreed to being interviewed by me for the podcast. And I am very grateful to him for that. This was not an easy interview to arrange. This happens a fair bit. What might be half an hour recorded interview can be from a conversation that lasted twice as long and can take over a month or so to set up, sometimes even longer. The record for me for the podcast was a total of four hours on the phone for just over half an hour interview. But what a great four hours that was, as was indeed the phone bill afterwards. There have been times when it's been difficult getting diaries together and things and I've actually ended up taking the hint and stopped chasing those interviews down. Now this was not the case with Alastair. He was always obliging, polite, friendly, right from the start. And I knew that it was going to be a good interview. It was just a question of when. Now to try and argue that doing an episode about teacher's whiskey is like getting back to basics or entry level or anything like that would be disrespectful and in a way misleading. The problem with teachers is the same as some other brands face. Success and over-familiarity. Whiskies such as Glenfiddich, Johnny Walker, Jim Beam, Canadian Club and Teachers, just to name but a few, are very familiar. They are popular. Now the educated consumer may turn away from such names, thinking of them as, as being commonplace. But that is the educated consumer, the one who has learnt that there are other whiskies, the one who has learnt a bit of knowledge, but only a bit. It is not the well-educated or the wise consumer. The well-educated and the wise consumer acknowledge their popularity and look to understand how this has happened. They become popular because they are good. 
Now, some of us have had these as our introduction to whiskey, sometimes forming part of bad, immature experiences, reckless drinking in the early days before we have learnt self-control and appreciation, over-drinking, terrible sickness and hangover, and a bad, bad experience that turns us away from them. And we also may turn away from them as we explore the unknown. But that is a shame. Teachers was a common whiskey for me, possibly the first I ever had. Then I moved away. I think, in all honesty, I maybe be started to become a bit of a snob with whiskey. But then I quickly relaxed. I grew up and matured. And as an older, wiser man, I returned to try teachers again. Expecting something cheap and harsh after years of drinking single malts and other things, I was actually surprised. Teachers was not cheap, nor was it harsh. It was rich, it was full of flavour, it was well balanced, and it had a texture that was Highland cream. And that was a few years ago now, and it was an important lesson in humility for me. I am reminded of King Arthur and the Tramp. Now, King Arthur and the Tramp, let me just tell you very quickly what I mean by that. When King Arthur, so story goes, was a young king, a newly crowned king, he had battles to fight. He didn't know how to fight those battles. And he was walking along one day, about to go into uh, advice about how to do this, when a vagabond, a tramp, suddenly shouted to him, telling him what he needed to do in the battle. King Arthur took no notice of him. He went in, spoke to his advisers. They decided what they needed to do, and the battle plan was drawn. But the battle plan failed. Many were lost. The next day, a similar thing happens. He's about to go into the meeting. The vagabond, the tramp, he's there. He tells King Arthur what to do. King Arthur turns to the tramp, tells him to get out of his way, goes into the meeting. They decide the battle plan. The battle plan fails. The third day, a similar thing happens. King Arthur's getting quite angry at this vagabond being in the way and again the battle plan fails but on the fourth day without giving true acknowledgement to the vagabond he listens he takes in what this man is saying he listens to his advisers and he decides to take a risk the risk that he takes is to go with the ideas given to him by this tramp. The battle plan is drawn. They go into battle and they win. The following day, he's walking along. He sees the tramp. He tells the tramp to come into the castle. And he says to the tramp, I want you to be my advisor, but I want to know how you learnt so much about battle. And at that time, the tramp changes his appearance in front of him because this tramp is Merlin. King Arthur turns to Merlin and says, Well, Merlin, why did you play this game on me? And 
Merlin says, for many reasons, Arthur. And one of those reasons is, I wanted you to realise that the appearance isn't everything. That wise words can come from all over. Not just from those who appear to be at the top of the tree, or appear to be very special in this way or in that way, but to seek with an open mind wherever you go. Now to a degree I feel this way about whiskey such as teachers. They become common to us, they become familiar, and there's that risk that we could possibly start taking them for granted. I get fed up of hearing people say things like, well, it's just a blend. And I'm not talking just about teachers, but about many things. It's just a blend. No, there's no such thing as just a blend. Blends are this wonderful expression of, of the blender's art, as well as the distiller's arts as well, that goes to make all those components, and as well as the marketeer's art of, of putting that whiskey together in some form of packaging. It's brilliant. They are not just blends. These popular whiskies are things of wonder. They can be really good. They just happen to be able to live on the supermarket shelf. Just like the tramp in the King Arthur story was able to live on the streets. It didn't live snug up in the castle. It was there on the streets with everybody, the common people. But within it was something very special indeed. Within it was Merlin. Now, the teacher's bottle, it can live there on the streets, on the supermarket shelf, at the off-license. It's a bottle, it's a name that becomes very familiar, but within it is something special. So, it is my pleasure to play you my chat with Alastair Longwall. Alistair, it's so nice to talk to you. I know this hasn't been the, the easiest of, of interviews, getting our diaries together and, and things like that. But uh, I'm so glad you've managed to do it. Let's get straight down to the business, because we're here to talk about Teacher's Whiskey. Mm -hmm. Now, Teacher's Whiskey um, is quite a significant one for this podcast, because in the very early episodes that I did, the very first whiskey that I tasted in the podcast was, in fact, Teacher's. And the reason I did that was partly to do with the fact that I was brought up with that sense of, um, you know, there's not an awful lot of whiskies in the world, and the main one being teachers. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I either have to edit out that kiss or, <laughs> or, or make the point of saying that that was Alistair kissing his, his daughter goodnight, not him kissing me down the phone. It's, it's, <laughs> It's Sorry. not that sort of podcast. <laughs> I don't want people saying, as soon as you say something nice about teachers, that's what you get as a reward. <laughs> well, a very warm and welcoming kind of family. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, teachers, very significant whiskey. What's the story behind it? Where did it all start, the teacher's story? Well, um, 
it's a very long story, actually. If you you have to go right back to the turn of the the nineteenth century, William Teacher w- was born into a very or a fairly poor family. But you imagine there wasn't an awful lot of wealth going around in that in the industrial parts of the United Kingdom in, in those days. And his his mother worked in a mill. His father was a sailor. Uh, unfortunately for young William, his father was lost at sea and drowned when he was only one years old. Um, so it was down to his mother to bring young William up, which she did to the best of her abilities. And quite luckily for William, he got apprenticed to a tailor by the name of uh, Robert Barr when he was in his very early teens. And Robert was probably the main guiding light in young William's life. He was an educated man himself with a trade, as I said, he was a tailor. And although William was just labouring for him, he spent a lot of time educating um, William, young William teacher. And, and he got his, his, his love for um, education and, and forward thinking. He became a bit of a thinker in, in his youth and he, his early 20s. He was a very strong reformer. There was, you know, obviously the Chartist movement was, was making its way through uh, British society at the time. And, and that helped to kind of give him the values that he used in his later business life. But like all good things, um, there's a woman in the story, and William married very well. He married uh, his wife, MacDonald, Agnes MacDonald, and she was of uh, a family who had a grocery business, a, a wee grocery shop which William moved into, and it was just a natural progression at that time for them to be selling uh, whiskies and spirits. But as I say, William had very strong views on quality, equality, um, et cetera, et cetera, and, and those came right through the business for him. The, the blend, the teacher's blend as we know it, was, was patented uh, in 1883, I think, off the top of my head, but it had been on the go many years before that. The business, I say, was established in 1830, and there was many blends going through the shops. By the 1850s, William um, and his two sons, William Jr. and Adam, had started um, selling direct to customers in Glasgow. They had a chain of shop- shops, effectively pubs, with very strong values. Again, if you think back to the 1850s in Glasgow, 1860s, there was some very heavy industry. You know, shipbuilding, steelworks, coal, and you know, in, in any area where you have heavy industry, you have hard work, you have a very masculine society, and money doesn't tend to last very long on a Friday night. So, uh, William, his shops were well regarded by the city fathers because they were up against you know many temperance movements of the day who were trying to eradicate alcohol from society because of its perceived uh, ills at that time. And, and William ran very tight shops. There was no smoking in his shops. You could not be inebriated in his drinking shops, the dram shops as they were known, and you couldn't buy around. So he was quite a, uh, ahead of his time, it was certainly with the, the smoking aspect. And because of that, he was well regarded, and they grew to be the largest licensee in Glasgow. So as well as doing the off-sales and selling bulk to, to customers, he was also the largest licensee in Glasgow, and that really set the business going. Pastor, can I can I just clarify something um, for myself and for the listeners, just to sort of help get the picture of what this was like in my mind? When you're talking about selling whiskey at that point, how how was that being actually sold? How was the whiskey being stored? Are we in bottles at this time, or 
are we is it from the cask or or how's that happening you could you could buy bottles um and both on an off license off license that he ran or over the counter of his dram shops but i would presume that the whiskey and the other liquors that william was selling would be coming in by cask and they'd be sold from the cask in the shop yeah yeah, yeah. so do carry on with the story um so, so that that really set the business going um William Senior himself passed away in 1876. That was a very sad year, not just for the teacher family, but also for many Glaswegians like myself. That was also the year Patrick Thistle were formed and has given an awful lot of grief down the years to us football fans. Um, but the business really kept on moving and moved apace. They expanded down into London. There was a lot of innovation in the business. The Adam and William Jr. took up many opportunities to to expand the name and expand the brand and, and Actually, one of the, the, the more forward-looking propositions they had was, and you imagine the sailing ships that were leaving uh, the UK to go to the, to the New World always needed ballast, um, and teachers had the casks of Highland Cream and also what they are called Australian bonded whiskey because effectively this stuff was going into a bond. It was just a marine bond to, as a ballast, and the, the barrels would travel down to Australia and then come all the way back again free of charge. So there was, there was many <laughs> innovative uh, enterprises on the go. Um, the, obviously, we're not doing this with, with uh, any kind of visuals here, but it's a shame because I've actually got a bottle, an empty bottle, I have to, to say, from 1913 in my hands. It's a bottle of teachers um, and for later reference. And the inside of the label, which I'm looking at now, it shows a lovely picture of Ardmore Distillery. But if I pull the stopper, out of the cock. This was the very first self-opening cock. Back before 1913, if you wanted to get into a bottle of whiskey or a bottle of cognac or a bottle of wine, you needed a corkscrew. Um, teacher's business, William Manera Burgess, grandson of William Teacher, invented the self-opening cork, and that gave the teacher's business a good 10-year start on the distillers company and the other firms of the day before they, before obviously the, the copyright kind of ran out and other people could copy. Yeah. By the 1920s, teachers had also started to um, refine the chill filtration process, which they used to great effect. And then for many of your listeners who are of a reasonable vintage will remember the standout teacher's bottles of the 60s and 70s with the, the jigger cap, which was based on a Scandinavian designs at the time, a very sleek cap, which was a, a, a measure. Again, unfortunately, you won't see them. I've got no. some of them in front of me right now. I've got some of half bottles, including one of the the gold caps which teachers put out in 1972 when it became the very first blend blended whiskey in the United Kingdom to sell a million cases in one year. And that was the, the high point of the teachers' sales, as I say, domestically. And it was on the, the basis of that that Ardmore was doubled in capacity to... Again, can I just interrupt you, Alistair, just, just to support something you're saying there about some of us of a bit more vintage uh, may well remember those jigger caps. I can remember those jigger caps, and I can remember those right back when in my, my early teens, my childhood, um, being around and, and actually being quite a little feature to them. Do you know what I mean? It was, yeah. It's become part of my childhood memories, really. Well, it's actually quite an iconic image. If you look at any of the retro television programs like Life on Mars, it guaranteed if they burst into some dusky little downstairs basement to break up a car school, 
there'll be a bottle of teachers in the corner with a jigger cap. You know, it, it just was iconic from the 60s through to the 70s. When you think of a bottle of whiskey, you immediately kind of picture the, the jigger cap. Yeah. In fact, teachers had some great advertising in the day, and one of the famous ones was because the, the English market was such a large market for teachers, was, you know, teachers' whiskey helping Englishmen to enjoy water for centuries, you know. <laughs> just, which was a lovely line, you know. And uh, we kind of hairy arse Scotsman standing beside an English gentleman in a bowler hat and a, an umbrella, you know. Yes. Yeah. So the, the business has been around a long, long time, but it's always been based on thoroughly solid values and great innovation. Um, the one thing that's probably stayed a constant right through the years has been the quality of the spirit. We still lay claim, I think, to being probably the best quality mainstream blend you can possibly buy, and that's not just down to the high malt content. You know, we guarantee, we, we actually tell you in the buy label how much malt's in our blend. It's also the, the variety and craft of the malts that we use. We're still blending 30 plus single malts into the, to this blend, which is you know, an amazingly complex um, blend, but it gives you that depth of flavor. And the high malt content also gives a, a blended drink of something which is almost a bridging a blend between you know, standard blends and single malts. If you want to move into malted whiskey, you could do no worse than having teachers as your standard because it really gives you a grounding for the flavours you're going to find when you move into malt whiskey. Mm. But that, that to me, is one of the huge skills of a blender is, is actually managing to, to, to blend all those different components and also maintain consistency over a period of years how much has teachers itself changed do you think from the time it started to how it is now that's a hard one to, to, to really quantify because you know um it's the old you know footballers who who was better so stanley matthews or or, or was it david beckham there were different players for different days the spirits of love undoubtedly have changed if you were to take that you know an identical of the whiskey the flavor profile from say the 1930s and compare it against, you know, 2012, where we are now. I think the character, though, of the whiskey will have stayed fairly constant. Because whilst, you know, single malt flavours, by by very nature of them, will change subtly over the year. Well, we're using different malt crops, we're, you know, we're using different casks, etc. Distillery processes are changing year on year. That whole idea of teachers is meant to be full-flavoured, malty, but quite robust. And, and, and the robustness also comes from the fact that we, we do build the whole blend around the solid uh, spine of Ardmore. And that has not changed. We're still making Highland peated whisky the way we were from 1899 onwards. So you know, the spine of it is unchanged. Some of the, the finer flavours are, 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 you know, are around the kind of construction of it may have you know, subtly changed over the years, but not in a great deal. We might be using a little less of one particular malt, a little bit more of something else nowadays, but the actual character will not have changed. Mm. And I think that's a, a very good point to hammer home because a lot of blends over the years will evolve to try and follow the trend of the day. You know, uh, you think there's many, many whiskies really lightened their flavour profile and their colour when the American market opened up after Prohibition. Um, teachers didn't do that. And, and sometimes we suffer from it. We still get complaints, <laughs> believe it or not, coming to the distillery saying, you know, I, I was drinking teachers and uh, I, I didn't like it. It was too it was too much like hard work for me. 
and, and some people that, that's fair enough because you know everybody has their own choice everybody's palate's different but if, if you don't want to be challenged in, in a whiskey then probably I wouldn't say I would say teachers isn't the one for you because it is full flavour but that's the way it was designed to be it was always meant to have a, a, a peaty spine to it and it's always meant to have a, a, you know, a great deal of variety and, and layering in the flavours but there is that market out there for for a whiskey that's perhaps a bit lighter in flavour. Is there a temptation for teachers to make something like Teachers Light, for example? Or um, no, I don't. Think so. <laughs> I, mean, I think there's plenty of people who you know that's a wonderful thing about our industry. There are a great variety of blends out there. There's a blend there for everyone. I don't think we would in any way uh, reduce or, or lighten the quality of what we make. Sure. It's, it's an expensive product to put together, and I dare say um, people <laughs> within other parts of our business might like us to do that because, you know, it's not cheap to make it, but it is a quality product, and I think yeah. we'll keep playing. Thank you. <laughs> okay, that's marvellous. So this is sort of piggyback on that question from Owen. So if William Teacher was to come back um, from wherever he is, from the high place, down and visit our world at the moment, what would he make of the teachers that are around today? What would he make of the industry that surrounds it, do you think? Um, oh, I think he would be quite pleased to see that, that Scotch whisky as an industry has really evolved into becoming the preeminent whisky industry within global terms. Because that certainly wouldn't have been the way it was when he was setting up his business through the, you know, the 1830s, 40s and 50s. And it was very much a fledgling industry. Blending was just starting. It hadn't really taken off. It wasn't until you know, the 1880s, 1890s that the, the, the whiskey boom started to go. So I think you would be pleasantly surprised and quite pleased as a canny Scotsman to see how the business had taken off. He would probably be not quite so happy at the fact that a lot of the business now has, has really become commercialised. I think that I think to himself, he wouldn't, he wouldn't totally agree with that. But he would, he would, he would be quite pleased as a reformer to see, you know, the, the, the business is a, a fundamentally sound businesses, Scotch whisky businesses, and they're good employers. And you know, I think given it's over a hundred years um, since he died, I think he'd be quite pleased to see that they're still a flourishing business, employing people and giving people. Uh, throughout the world, uh, great enjoyment. What he would make of the spirit, I'm not too sure. I think he'd be quite pleased with his own blend, though. I think he'd be quite pleased to see we've kept it um, fairly close to, to its original recipe. Sure. You've mentioned part of that, though, the perhaps in the fingerprint malt that goes into this is Ardmore which is one of the other reasons why I chose Teachers as the first whiskey to taste on the podcast, because it gave me that, that lovely link of starting with a blended whiskey and, and talking about components of it, and then following on from that to, to taste a bit of Ardmore. And I must confess, it is one of my favourite whiskies. What, what's the Ardmore story? How does that truly link in with, with Teachers? Well, quite simply, without Ardmore, there would be no teachers' blend as we know it, and without teachers, <laughs> you know, vice versa, there would be no Ardmore. She's been intrinsic to the flavour profile right from you know the eighteen nineties, and and it is the only peat that's in the blend. So as I say, there's over thirty single malts, 
Um, there's nine top-notch Speysides within the mix, but the only peat in there is Ardmore. Um, and it, it's not... Some people would struggle to understand why we'd be putting a peated whiskey anywhere near a blend, because unless you've, you've tasted Ardmore, which clearly, you know, you have, Jim, and a lot of people know Ardmore, you know, love it, people still tend to think of peated whiskey as being the more iodine West Coast whiskeys. Ardmore's not. It's kind of weird. We take a peat from St Fergus, uh, just up in the northeast tip of Buchan. And our, our peat is a much drier, it's carbon-based. There's none of the sphagnum moss that um, our colleagues in Isla have, so we don't have that antiseptic saltiness. It's just good old solid dry, earthy sootiness, which underpins our more. And at the peating levels that we do, which are, you know, we call medium peating, 12 to 14 ppm, it still allows a lot of the other flavours, the distillation flavours and the malt flavours to come through. So Ardmore in itself is, is a, a reasonably unique flavour package for a, for a malt, a highland peated malt, sweet, spice, smokiness. And when you put that, as I say, into the spine of teachers, it really gives it a dimension which I don't think any of the other uh, mainstream blends have. Hmm. But strip it out and, and teachers would be, uh, would be a whole different proposition, I think. Yeah. But the range for teachers is not just now teachers hiring cream, is it? There's more available to customers now. No, I, um, what, one of the great things about our present um, owners, uh, Beam Inc., Beam are a fantastically enthusiastic whiskey company. You know, they've got heritage. It goes even beyond that of teachers um, back into the days of Jim Beam, back in the 1780s, 1790s. You know, we've got a wonderful portfolio. We've got Canadian whiskey. We've now got Coolies. We've got Irish whiskey. We've got number one Spanish whiskey. We've got some of the greatest bourbons you can ever wish for. So this fantastic family of, of, of whiskey makers in Beam have really given the folks within the Scottish operation a bit more free reign to, to innovate and extend the range. You know, up until five, six years ago, it really was just a standard. You know, back when I started in the business, we had things like Teachers 50, which was 50% malt, etc. But they were fairly low volume. In the last year, we've launched a 25-year-old into India. We've just launched a Teachers Single Malt into India. And believe it or not, I was just watching a little promo video of Teachers in a Can, which had just been launched into India. And that's Teachers in Cola and Teachers in Soda. All very exciting stuff. We have two extensions which have already been running in India, one of which has just been launched into the global arena, and that's Teacher's Origin, which is one that's particularly exciting for us up at Ardmore. Effectively, we've taken the the malt package for teachers and the grain package, uh, but instead of blending them together and bottling them straight away, they're coming back up to Ardmore in bulk, and we're refilling them into ex-Ardmore quarter casks for the malt, and the grain's going into ex, or to first fill ex-bourbons, and they're getting a second maturation, three years or so, and then we marry the parts back together, and then for good luck, we throw an even bigger dollop of Ardmore in there to bring the malt content up to, to 65% malt, 35% grain, and then we bottle it. And it teacher's origin is just the most wonderful jam, and I'm really excited that now it's coming into international duty-free, and hopefully... Will be coming into the UK domestic market quite soon because it's a real throwback. This is, you're asking about what William Teacher think about, about whiskey. If you tasted Origin, 
he wouldn't think he'd actually died. He'd think he'd still be there in the 1850s. It's a real throwback whiskey, big, full-bodied, full-flavoured. Uh, and it's really exciting. We've now, as I say, we've got five extensions onto, onto the line. Um, we are launching most of these into India, which is our um, number one market at the moment. But as they launch there, they're, they're getting rolled out back into international. So hopefully we'll see some of these extensions coming into the UK quite soon. That sounds brilliant. I mean, what, how, the way you described Origins there, it sounds so um, um, exciting, but that's quite a process to go through for a whiskey. That is not going to be a cheap whiskey, surely. Um, I don't. I don't think it will be terribly outside the kind of package of a what you would expect to pay for, say, a, a, a dated twelve-year-old. We don't put any ages on on our uh, on Origin because. There's two maturations that have been on in there, and it's, they're varying. Teachers, and the way we do our more traditional cask, uh, teachers origin and our more traditional cask, very much done in the traditional manner of flavour. We're really looking for the flavour, so the ages are varying from, from bottling to bottling. Mm. But, uh, I guarantee you, you need to get yourself up up the road. We've got some, some stock which we brought back in from India just for, for our own use. But um, you get up in time, Jim, you can have some. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an offer almost too good to resist doesn't it I, I really don't think it'll be too late, too long before you'll see it you'll certainly start to see it if you're lucky enough to be traveling through international duty free you should start to see origin fairly quickly um, and we would hope to try and get some volume into into the uk soon brilliant wonderful now you did mention amongst that the teacher's malt as a as a release Yes. And how how does that differ, if it does differ, of course, from an Ardmore single malt? It's just slightly different. Um, um, we'll be honest, the proposition of Ardmore to an Indian consumer, it, it doesn't mean an awful lot to them. The, the, the teacher's name is the established name in India, and that has all the provenance of, of the number one selling blended uh, scotch, which teachers is in India. It's, it's now taking that position from, from J.W. Black. So that's the only reason it's out there, but it's it's fundamentally very similar to to Ardmore traditional cast, but it's slightly different. It's not, it's not quite the same mm. same package. But again, we really do believe that the Indian palate's quite similar to, to the UK palate insofar as they do like the fuller flavours and they do like a slightly peatier flavour. So we're hoping that'll be quite successful. As I say, Teachers has been an amazing success story in India. It was only launched in 1994. Um, last year, we sold over half a million cases. Um, so it's just it's, it's a scary, scary success story. Sure. It's all around the flavour. It's the flavour that's driving that success. Yeah. I don't know whether this is a bit of a, um, a curveball question in many ways. I don't know. But it is a big market. You're covering a global market. Teachers is a massive name. How much threat do you get from, from counterfeiters? Because surely that is one that they're going to target. Yes, it, it's, it's always a, a focus, not just for, for our company, but for the, the business as a whole. Um, but it is one which our industry is attacking quite aggressively, and we are looking to work as close as we possibly can with the authorities and the markets in which we operate. And, you know, there has been some, some good work done. We are getting successes. It's, it's always going to be there, though. I suppose it's, it's 
it's a reflection of your success when people are trying to to copy what it is you, the, the products that you make and, and you sell and we just have to put up with that we just have to be vigilant and keep working hard hmm. um, the, the industry is well supported technically by um, the Scotch Whiskey Research Institute and and politically uh, at both at UK government level and at um, Scottish level so uh, I think we're, we're it's a fight that will always go on, but it's, it's not one that um, we're not aware of. It's one we're actively uh, fighting. But as you say, it's also in many ways an indication of your own success, isn't it? Yes. I mean, if nobody was copying what you were doing, um, that would, I think, tell you something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what it is you're trying to do. But, yeah. uh, no. Alistair, we've talked a little bit here about William Teacher, about the history of the teacher's whiskey itself. What about your history? Where, where did you originate from how did you get into the industry um well i joined teachers straight from school i was quite fortunate i grew up in the north side of glasgow um not too far from where teachers had their, their blending and bottling plant in, in springburn and in fact i'm actually i don't just it's not just a made up story I, I you know vivid one of the first memories i have of going in the bus into glasgow we used to go down springburn road in glasgow you came down opposite the teachers um plant and one abiding memory I have was of the huge um, pile of cask, you know, the huge stows of cask they had outside the pond in Flemington Street. So it was always in, in, in my, my consciousness. My uncle also worked at Hiram Walker in Dumbarton. So, you know, the members of the family were already in the business. And my dad, um, he was a, a rather active uh, consumer <laughs> and also a keen and avid collector of miniatures. So we grew up in a house with my dad had you know, 1,300, 1,400 whiskey miniatures. So there was whiskey was always around us. It felt quite natural for me to go in, in, into the, the business. Um, and so in 1987, I joined teachers from school. Um, and I was very fortunate when the previous owners of the distillery, Allied Distillers, Allied Lines, when, the, when that business was broken up in 2005, that I had just been made manager at Ardmore and I, and I went with the distillery into to working for Beam because really Ardmore is now the last kind of bricks and mortar link back to the business. Our old headquarters are still in Glasgow at Scenic Square. It's a, it's a listed building. You'll still see the teacher's name above the door. We don't own that anymore. However, you can, if you're, if you're in Glasgow, go into Scenic Square and go into the building that's run now by the Institute of uh, Engineering and Technology and a lot of the rooms, certainly on the second and third floor, are all branded up in teachers and are more and there's, you know, interactive boards, etc. So, but, um, no, 25, 24 years now I've been I've been working, so next year will be my 25th year. That's kind of all I know, really. Mm. Any regrets? I mean, is it, when you look back, would you think to yourself, no, I wish I'd never done that. I wish I'd uh, let, gone into train driving instead or something like that, driven no, a fire engine or... Nah, no, 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 no. Um, could have played football. Could have been very bad at that. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've been very fortunate. But I think if you, if you can't enjoy working in the industry in which um, I'm lucky enough to work, then yeah, you want to kind of chuck it really. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it really does give you a boost. The, the wonderful part of my job now is the fact we get to talk to people literally from all over the world coming to the distillery to learn a, a bit about Ardmore and a bit about teachers. And you know, it's such a it's such a wonderful enterprise we work in. 
and it's such a wonderful product. So, no, absolutely no regrets whatsoever. Yeah. I, I do love it to hear, and I find this all the time when I talk to people within the whiskey industry, how they have so much pride for what they're actually doing. You know, it's, it's, it is so pleasant to hear, to listen I, to, especially in today's day and age. Gemma, it was, I mean, even today, um, who was in today? We had a couple of laddies in today, and we were just having a wee walk down um, the distillery close, and I said, oh, that's Dougie, that's Dougie Lewis. Dougie's our oldest employer, our longest service employer, I should say the oldest. Yes, actually, the oldest, but you'll not thank me for that. He's got 42 years service, and his dad had 37 years before him, and you know, walking to Still House, and the two lads that are in there are both 20 years plus, so... There's just so so much wonderful heritage and pride. There really yeah. is so much pride. It doesn't matter which firm you work for, what distillery you're at, or what partner. It's pride that comes to the fore, and that's what makes the products. It's real provenance. It's not a made-up, branded, marketed provenance. It's proper, real provenance. It's real people making a fantastic product. Yeah, but the way you're taking that forward isn't, or so to me, it doesn't seem to be along the lines of thinking, well, how can we make more? How can we get it out more? How can we do this and do that? That sort of approach. Okay, there might be an element of that, but you also seem to be thinking, well, we can develop it slightly along this way, as you said about teacher's origin. It's more to do with the quality rather than just mass producing. Well, there's always, there's always pressures for us to try and meet demand, but if you're not making a quality product, you, eventually you're going to, to lose out mm. because there is such great competition out there and it's not just within the Scottish sec- you know, sector. There's you know, Irish whiskies on a roll, American whiskies on a roll. If, if we in Scotland are not making a quality product, we're going to lose out our share and if you're not making the best quality blend or the best quality malt within the, the Scotch segment, then you're also going to lose out. So it's, it is a balancing act, but you do have to keep quality to the fore, um, because we have quite a loyal customer base. You know, there's most people that are spending the kind of money it costs to buy a bottle of whiskey nowadays are looking for a quality product. They're not looking for a, a quick hit drink. Mm. People, that's not Scotch whiskey. <laughs> so sure. we're not playing to this. We're not playing to that market. We're, we're playing to people who understand uh, about flavour. And understand about consistency and quality. But teachers, from my own experience, is also one of those that's there at the forefront for people who are coming into whiskey drinking at the very start of it. It's one of the first whiskies people often try. I mean, I must confess, I think Teachers was the first whisky I tried, and to be honest, and I can say this, I think so, because I think your daughter's gone off to bed now. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I wouldn't have been... Well, I've, I've been in primary school age, I think, when I had my very first first taste of whiskey, uh-huh. and I reckon that must have been a teacher's. You know, it's that thing that that it's accessible for people, isn't it? And it's that 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 brings people into to, into drinking whiskey. Yes, yeah, I think you've got a good point there. Um, I mean, we've, we've all got our own stories of our first drink when we were very very young. Used mm. to be left out after a your father's had a party or whatever. Um, and that's generally when a lot of people are, are actually turned off to drink whiskey is when they're probably just slightly be- below legal drinking age, as it were, or certainly when they're young adults because they've had either the wrong whiskey or they've drunk it the wrong way. Sure. But I guess, I mean, teachers, because of the quality of it, it is 
particularly smooth. So I, I do think if you're if you're walking into a pub or somebody's invited you to their home and asks you if you want a dram, and it's going to be your first one, you can do a lot worse than taking teachers because it will give you a better idea and a better view of what whiskey should be like, a blend of whiskey should be like, you know, the, the depth of flavour. It's not just hot, a hot burn. Um, you know, you're, you're getting some good quality malted spirit in there. Yeah. Well, I suppose, hence the name Highland Cream. Yeah, and that's a, that's a common question we get asked, why the name Cream? And we can only suppose now because, you know, we're 100 and... Oh, 186 years, 187 years down the line. And that's really what it would have been, you know. Cream rises to the top, as all the connotations have been something smooth, have been high quality. You know, so it was a very apt name for the product that William crafted. Hmm. Well, Alistair, listeners won't know this, but it's actually getting quite late at night. I know you've, you've had a hard day's work and everything. I Thank you ever so much for your time, for talking to me. And um, I'm looking forward to my next taste of the teachers. And as soon as the origins come on the market, you can, I can guarantee you I'll, I'll be in the queue ready to get some. Excellent. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, Jim. And um, hopefully we'll see you at more sometime. Hopefully so. I thank you for listening to this episode of the Morted Muse podcast. Just a very quick reminder, if anybody wants to help support the podcast financially, there is a way you can do that. You can visit my website and you can make a donation. You can do that in one of two ways. You can do it quietly, in which case, thank you. You can do it publicly, in which case, if appropriate, I will mention that on the podcast um, as a thank you to people. That facility is not going to be there for long. It's an experiment. I did originally say it's going to be there for about three months, but I'll be honest, I'm changing my mind on that i think it's going to be there for less time than that anyway it's there for you if you want to use it um if not that's fine well thank you again for listening to this episode of the more to muse podcast if you haven't heard them already there is a back catalogue of other episodes available on itunes and if anybody wants to contact me they can do so my email address is jim at the com. there's the website www.themaltedmuse.com and there's also twitter twitter at the malted muse so thank you again for listening i hope you'll listen next week and until then thank you and goodbye